passage for today is one that's not quite as often talked about. It is the one right after all the ones we read last night. In fact, it starts in Luke, Luke 2, 20, verse 22. So, the shepherds keeping watch by night, the good news of great joy, that was all the first part of Luke 2. So, this is what happens next. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the, temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is God's word for his people. So this morning... Mostly what I'm going to do is just go through this passage. Again, we're keeping today simple. But I do want to start with another Christmas movie. So, maybe you've seen Home Alone. And there's a scene in Home Alone. The main plot is is fun with him fighting off the, the thieves. But there's a side plot that I find really interesting, and it's... Him, his encounter at church with his neighbor, old man Marley. Now, the beginning of the, the movie, it shows how the neighborhood kids are terrified of this old man who lives alone. And they, they're, you know, they, they run away from him when they see them. And so Marley sees Kevin at church. And at this point, he's all alone, right? He's, he's just... It's a place to be because his parents are left him behind. And he goes up and talks to him and says, you don't need to be afraid. You can say hello when you see me. 
And then he ends up in a conversation explaining why he's there at church. So Kevin's just sitting there, and it's not during a church service. There's, they're actually, the choir is practicing, the kids' choir is practicing. And Marley is there because it's the only chance he gets to see his granddaughter. And he tells Kevin that he had got in an argument with his son. And they both said to one another they don't want to see each other anymore. And so Marley doesn't get to see his grandkids. And so he found he can't come on the regular worship, but he can come and see his granddaughter during the, the choir practice. And of course, Kevin encourages him, why don't you reach out and give your son a call? And maybe you can get things right. So that's one of the side plots. But I love that encounter at a church. And today's passage, there's an encounter at the Jerusalem temple. Kind of a surprise encounter. And it, an old man and an even older woman end up coming to the temple. And they're both coming hoping that they would get to see the child who would be the Savior. And so they have this time when they see Jesus, when they see Mary and Joseph. And so walking through this, we find that Joseph and Mary come to the temple to fulfill the the law of Moses. It it emphasizes that one time. The verse before tells us it was on the eighth day when Jesus was circumcised. So it's the eighth day. Jesus is still just a a very little one. And they come, and there was an offering required for the firstborn sons. And the ESV version is very literal. And maybe you noticed how it it said it. It said, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So that just means the firstborn son who who, who, uh, is the firstborn. And... And so it was required that you give a special offering for the firstborn son. This goes back to the time when they were in Egypt. And maybe you remember this. We we did talk about it back in the fall. How did God convince the Egyptians to let the Israelites go, release them from slavery? What was the ten plagues? And the final plague was this, the death of the firstborn son. And God gave a way for the Israelite sons to be protected, the offering of the Passover lamb. But the Egyptian sons, including in Pharaoh's household, all the firstborn sons were killed. And God tells the Israelites, as he's choosing them as his people, he says, because I did this, now all your firstborn sons belong to me. And you have to redeem them. You have to give a sacrifice as a sign, as a memory of what I did to, to, to give you, release you from slavery, redeem you from, from the slave position. And so they're following that. And so jo- Joseph and Mary, they go. And, and so it's a sign, one, that Joseph and Mary and Jesus are all part of the people of Israel, right? They're, they're, they're part of the Jewish people. Salvation would come through the Jews. And moreover, it's a sign that Jesus would be raised under the Old Testament law. Galatians 4, Paul is later talking about this, and he says, talking about the birth of Jesus, says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of woman, meaning the Messiah would be born in the natural way, born of a woman, born into humanity, and then also born under the law. And so Jesus, in his life, would, would live under and actually keep the Old Testament law in a way none of, of his people ever could. Jesus would bring fulfillment to the law by living it out. And then, in a sense, by living it out and completing it, he would release us from it so that we're not under the law as believers in Christ. We have been set free. We're under Christ and under his grace. That's a, that's a whole theological thing. But I think we see a sign here at the very beginning. There's one other thing I want to comment out of this. It says, Joseph, that reflects on Jesus' upbringing, says, Joseph and Mary, they offered to the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So the normal offering to redeem the firstborn was a lamb. But God knew that some could not afford that. And so the, the pair of turtle doves or two pigeons were something that those who were poor could offer. If you did not have a flock, a lamb to offer, you could capture two birds. And that would be your offering to, to redeem the firstborn. So this is a sign that Jesus would not grow up in the wealth of a palace. He would grow up in poverty and humility as he was raised. And then you get to the interesting part, this encounter. And it, so it's a, with a man named Simeon who was righteous and devout. It also said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. So here's a man, a Jewish man, who he had been revealed a special thing. It says, you will not die until you've had a chance to see the Messiah, the Lord's Christ. Christ is the same word as Messiah. And so you will see it so you know you're not going to die until that happens. So that kind of give you a little, all right, yeah, I could. I don't know if he, you know, walked on tight, tight ropes, you know, or, did, you know, if it let him be bold or maybe, maybe not. But either way, he knew that he, had, he, he would do this and he was waiting for it. And he was coming to the temple on a regular basis, waiting to see this Messiah who would come. And, and the phrase that's used, it says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that phrase is not one that's used a lot. And I was curious, and so I kind of looked into it a little bit. And the word consolation is the word in Greek, paraklesen. It can be translated comfort or encouragement. And so Isaiah 40 talks about what God's plans for his people, and it says, comfort, comfort my people. That's how Isaiah 40 begins, and it's, it's one of the great chapters of the Old Testament. And so it's a version of this word paraklesen. It's a different tense. So, so Jesus is fulfilling that Isaiah 40, that God is bringing comfort for his people. He's bringing the solution that they've been waiting for. So that's one thing I notice out of it. Um, the other word that's comparable to it in the same, just a slight variation, is parakletos, which is the comforter, or the, the counselor. Later, Jesus would say to his disciples when he was about ready to die and leave them, he says, I will send you another counselor, a parakletos. So it's basically the same word. 
So Jesus would be the consolation, the first counselor for his people. And then when he would depart to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit then would be the second, this other counselor, this other parakletos who lives, who bears God's presence, who brings comfort and peace into our lives. That is part of the role of this parakletos. And Jesus was the original one. The Holy Spirit would be, would continue that. And the theme of this Holy Spirit is going all the way through it. So Simeon, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him he would see the Messiah. And so when he came to the temple, he was, he was being guided by God's Holy Spirit. He was tuned in to God saying something to him. And, and maybe he didn't, I don't know if he knew that day, if God had said, this is the day, or if he just came there regularly saying, it could be today. But either way, you can imagine the temple is a huge edifice. There's a large courtyard where there'd be men and women and people from all over. And, and Simeon would be coming and he would be looking at faces. And, and if he saw a baby, he would probably zero in on it. Lord, is this the one? Right? Is this, is this could this be? And, and, he, and finally, that day came when he saw Joseph and Mary and little Jesus, eight days old. And the Holy Spirit, the, the small, quiet voice of the Spirit said, Him. This is the one. And Simeon, like his heart just shot up within him. Like, oh. And he's totally caught up in joy. And he goes right up to the child. And, and so it says he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And I don't know if he asked permission. Like, I, so young moms, I, I know we don't have a lot. We have one here. So and maybe I, I see someone in the back. You're like, do, do old people sometimes do that to you? Do they walk up and just grab your baby? Like, like how do you handle that when they do that? You're like, especially if you don't know them. Like, they don't know Simeon for anything. And I guess that was, you know, okay, they handled it. Like, they, they all right, I guess we'll trust that God knows what he's doing. But he goes right up and he, he blessed God. And, um, and, and then he gives a, a little speech. It's... It's, you know, four verses long. Let me read it again. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I want to dig into this and see what it's saying because it's kind of a little interesting highlight to what Jesus would be about. But first of all, to let you know, this speech actually has a title. It's called the Nunc Dimittis, or Dimittis. And so that comes from Latin. Um, it's now let your servant depart, or now dismiss thy servant. And so if you read it in like the, the old school English, Lord, lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. And this, this is written in kind of old school funerals, especially in England. Like in England, you'd have a church and the graveyard would be out in the churchyard. I think there's still probably some places in New England that has that too. But you, So you'd have the funeral in the church, and then you would walk with the body. The pastor would lead the body to the graveyard. Now we get in cars here in America. But they would recite this, this, this little speech, the Nuctimitis by, by Simeon at, as you walked to the graveside. And, so as, and it's appropriate because what is it saying? It's saying, I've seen the Christ. Now I can die in peace. 
Now I need not fear death. Right? Death, death has no hold on me because the Messiah has dealt with it. And so Simeon's saying that in faith to what Jesus would do. But now we who know Jesus know that death has no hold on us. His salvation has come. And as long as we have Jesus, the grave does not hold us down. Instead, it says we depart and we're with him in his presence. Um, when we're absent from the body, our body goes in the ground. But our, our self, our inner being, who we are at our core, will be with Christ until the day he comes back and we're raised again, body and soul and spirit, all together again. That is eternal life. And because the Savior has come, we have that peace in the here and now that we need not fear death. So I think this is a, a significant speech. Note a few other things about it. It talks about that, that my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared in the presence of all peoples. God was doing it publicly. It's the temple's a public place. And the, the temple was meant to be for all peoples to, to come and worship. And it says, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. So when you see the word Gentiles in the Bible, it, it really can be translated the nations. It just means someone, someone who's of the non-Jewish people, right? So the Gentiles, and, and the word in Greek is the same word they use for the nations. So a light of revelation for the nations. That, that what Jesus was going to do would, would go out to all the nations, to all peoples. And that it would bring glory to your people Israel. So let's, let's look a little closer on that because there's a passage from the Old Testament. One of the Old Testament promises was from Isaiah 25. And there, in Isaiah it says, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. What's the shroud that covers over all peoples? What does that mean? Well, the next verse tells you, it says, He will swallow up death forever. The shroud of mortality, the shroud of our, our limited life span. Our bodies that will one day die and give way. That, that shroud was over all people as, a, as a, a, a thing that covers over us. And we needed someone who would remove that. Picture the, the dead body, right? And the, covered with a sheet. You know, someone who could pull it back and, and give us life again. And so Isaiah is saying that, that there will come this day when God will do that. He will remove that shroud. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. And he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. So it's a prophecy about how God would bring salvation. But what is this on this mountain? Well, it's talking about Mount Zion in which Jerusalem was built. So the salvation would take place. The key moment would take place in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. The salvation that Jesus would bring where, where the temple sits. Um, the shroud that unfolds all people, death, mortality, something that none of us can escape. And then it says, so this will come for all peoples and it will remove the disgrace of, of my people, the Jewish people. So the rest of the nations look down upon the Jews thinking like, what do they have to offer? They don't have military power. They're not like the mighty Roman Empire or the other empires of the earth, 
Like they keep, you know, they, they're, they're, they're small, you know, they're in this part of the world. They're not great farmers. They're not great philosophers. What do they have? Through the Jews, through the people of Israel, God would bring a salvation that would be for all peoples. That would be the glory that God would give to them. And I think it, it says for Christians that we, we should still today, you know, have respect for the, the Jewish people. I know there's been a rise of anti-Semitism, of we see attacks upon Jewish people. We should have no part of that, right? Our Savior was of the Jewish people. Salvation came through the Jews. And it says that he has taken away the people's disgrace through, through what Jesus has done. says that Mary and Joseph, so how did they respond to all this? It says they marveled at, at, what, at what happened. And they're just taking it in. Like, okay, this is, you know, like they didn't, they didn't have any of this background. They're just trying to figure out what's going on. And, and so they're, they hear what Simeon says. And then Simeon turns specifically to Mary. And he said to Mary, he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. So, so Jesus would turn everything upside down. Jesus said, you know, for the first will be last and the last will be first. The, there'll be this upheaval. Um, it says, Simeon also said that, he, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus will be able to see into people's hearts and he'll... he'll Bring out truth. So there's two aspects of this. So I, we're talking in a sense about the peace of Jesus. Because he, he brings a peace with God and a peace that, that, you know, because he's taken the fear of death away. So when knowing Jesus, we have peace within. But, but there's another side. Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Right? The coming of Jesus would bring things into upheaval. The fall of many and the rise of others would happen because as the kingdoms of this world would fight against the kingdoms of Christ, um, that, that it would bring change. And, and so there would be this sense of he comes to bring peace, but it will also lead to upheaval and, and a, a challenge. And there's like their sword. And in fact, Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Simeon says, a sword will pierce your heart as well, Mary. She would be there when Jesus would be crucified. The cost of our salvation would be Jesus on the cross. That's what it would take. That's the salvation he came to bring. And Mary would, would have the joy of raising him and being a part of God's plan and the sorrow and grief of, of seeing it play out. Simeon was not the only old person there who was waiting for Jesus. There was also Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. And so it says she was advanced in years and she had lived with, and it says later she's 84. So, so she had lived with her husband seven years and then he died. And she remained the rest of her life as a widow. So let's say she married at 20. And so she was widowed at 27. 
50, 57, right? Is there a math teacher in the house? So imagine 57 years of, of uh, waiting for this. And it says she gave those years to God. You know, rather than remarry and, you know, likely she maybe never had children. Um, it, it does not seem, or she may have, but, but she gave those years to, to God, to worshiping, to fasting, to prayer, waiting for the, the solution to God, solution from God, the Messiah. And she was there that day as well. In fact, it says she made it sound like she's always there. Like when the doors are open, there was Anna. Like the priests all knew her. Oh, yeah, there's Anna. She's worshiping and praising again. Um, and so she, and when she sees Jesus, she also, she comes up and just begins to praise God. And, and she doesn't have a speech, but she just gives thanks to everyone and announces to everyone, this is the redemption of Israel. This is the one we've been waiting for. How fun would that be to, to see all that? There's one thing I want to comment about Anna, is that she's of the tribe of Asher. And I, don't, I truthfully don't know if this is significant or not. It, it mentions it. It mentions her father and the tribe of Asher. So I, put, I have a map on the screen. I don't know if you could really see it very well in your seats. You can look it up later. I see people you know, trying to see it. So, so Jerusalem is down at the bottom, in the, 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 right near the green, the blue and the green at the bottom. So Jerusalem is part of the southern kingdom of Judah. Why Jesus is called the Lion of Judah, okay? There were 12 tribes originally. Asher is way up at the top in the, uh, the gray part on the coastline. And so it's actually up near where Tyre and Sidon was, which were kind of enemies to Israel. If you were here when we did the whole series on Elijah... All of that stuff, the ten tribes in the north had split off from Judah and Benjamin in the south. And then the later, those ten tribes were, were given over and they were conquered by the Assyrians. And sometimes the question is, what happened to the lost tribes of Israel? Well, they weren't really lost. God had kept them in sight and there's all kinds, there's all kinds of changes, but we see that there were at least some from those northern tribes, that when God was bringing salvation, he was restoring not just the southern kingdom of, of Judah, the Jews, but he was also including and found ways of including those of all the people of Israel. And there's that Samaria. When Jesus would go and bring the good news to Samaria, they were part of those northern, northern section, northern kingdom of Israel. Of the tribes. So the salvation would not just be just Jerusalem. It would be the whole 12 tribes, as well as all peoples. So that's my side thought on what that might mean and why it emphasizes that she was from that tribe. One other thing I want to connect this passage to is another prophecy in Joel. And this is Joel chapter 2. And let me read Joel 2, because it comes up at Pentecost. And it goes like this. It shall come to pass afterward. It says, in the, in the day of the Lord, Joel's talking about, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, 
I will pour out my spirit. Now, Joel is often associated with the coming of Pentecost that happens after Jesus when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And so we see that there. But, but I think we see a seed of it right here, right? What do we see? The Holy Spirit putting this all together and, and an old man with a, with a dream, with a vision from God that he will not die till he's seen the Messiah. And, and an old, old woman who, you know, as a widow, likely would have been in the lower status, like she has the Holy Spirit. We see God starting to, to do that work of pouring out a spirit, not on just the special people, but on the old and young together, on the, the high and the low together. And God is at work in this. I have a last thought. Is that all of this takes place in the temple. But the temple itself is not a key place. It becomes sort of a place where it all happens. But the temple is not really the, the key part of it. It was useful. And it, it was the place that the Holy Spirit made it happen. But, but it was the Holy Spirit that set this encounter up. And it got me thinking about how, how is our building related to this? And so I, I may have told this before. I'm not sure. When I do my bike riding, I like to ride the, the Erie Canal Path. And there is a little church, very little, over near Fort Plain. It's called Spraker's Reformed Church. And the church happens to be right on this, the Erie Pathway, Erie Canal Pathway. And so if there's one thing you want as a rider, sometimes you need water, and sometimes you need a, a place to use the facilities. And so this little church has found a way to welcome people. And, and what do they do? They leave their doors open. They're, they trust that it will work out. They, they keep their, they, basically you can use the bathroom. You can, um, you know, sit for a little bit. They have water set out. They have some snacks set out for any rider who wants to come. And I just think that's, that's of God right? That's just a witness. And so I've, I've used it a couple times when I've, I've been out that way. And I, I can't imagine how many riders who maybe don't know anything about the Lord, but are led to that spot, right? And, and it, I think, it, I hope it brings honor to the name of Jesus in what they're doing. Can I suggest that East Glenville, we have a great building we have a comfortable building. You know, we have, we have all this stuff, but it's not the building that's the key to what takes place. It's the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe one part of our calling is to be a place where if God's Spirit is at work in someone, that they could draw them here and they will be welcomed in. They will hear the message of Jesus. They'll hear the good news. They'll, they'll find friendships. They'll find grace and love and and, and so my encouragement to you all, and maybe you're here and that's what you need today and I hope you find it, but also to, to make that happen, we got to have that right Holy Spirit in us that when we show up on Sundays, we're, we're in tune with what the Spirit would do. And who but knows when someone walks in that door, if we're the one called to welcome them in, point them to Jesus, to help them discover the good news of Jesus Christ. 
if, if someone is out there and they don't know anything, like how would God ever bring the good news to them? Maybe they'll flip through on YouTube. Maybe they'll happen to, you know, turn into evangelists. But my guess is they'll, they'll say, well, maybe there's something to these churches. Could I, could I come and see? And we're all, right, we're right along the highway. God's put us here. If he's put us here, it's not just for ourselves. It's so that if someone, if God is at work in someone, could they bring him here? That's why I'm so glad we did the, the one starry night. I think we opened our doors in a way, similar to what the Spraker's church did, to say, hey, this guy is worth paying attention to. And we're so glad you could come in our building and just get a taste. We hope you want more. We hope you want to learn more about him. That's all I have to say about that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you that what we see in Simeon and Anna and how the joy they had when they saw the, the face of the Messiah. Lord, may we have that joy today. And Lord, may we be a place of welcome. I, I pray that East Glenville Church would be a place where, where your spirit can lead people to come and, and see the face of Jesus in how we love and respond to, to visitors and, and seekers. Lord, help us be that kind of church because we can only do it if you, if you enable us. And so this we ask in the name of your Son. Amen.